0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight, I'll be talking to the best female sommelier in the world. On my travels, I visit Tipperary for the Great Taste Awards and when I'm there I meet Head of Judging Nigel Barden, Tipperary producer Anne-Marie Walsh and Pat Whelan of John Whelan Butcher fame whose beef dripping won the highest accolade possible at the Great Taste Awards last year. A reminder as to how to get in touch with me, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or please tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation because it is always great to hear from you now every month wine takes center stage and tonight it's in the form of a world champion sommelier julie dupuy is on the line now to tell us more about being confirmed as the best in the business at the recent world sommelier awards bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious Mm. julie you're very welcome to the program this evening Oh thank you very much Sharon. And we have to say félicitations because you are French, you live in <laughs> Ireland, and you are the third best sommelier in the world, but really you're the best female sommelier in the world. How does that feel?
1: Oh uh, well, it feels a bit surreal, I suppose. Um I well, I did work for it plus if I have been I have been told 3 months ago that I would be in the top 3 uh, best sommelier in the world. I I would be Oh, that's kind of a dream, you know.
0: Well, let's go back in time to when you were 16 and you told your grandparents, was it, on your 16th birthday that you wanted to be a sommelier when you grew up?
1: Yes, well, in fact, my, my granddad opened a bottle of wine for my year of birth when I was, for my 16th birthday and I didn't really know much about wine at the time but I just thought it was so amazing to, to have a, well, I would say such an old bottle of wine, I mean, I was only 16 years old but I was very intrigued and I I did a bit of research about what jobs could be around the, the the wine and world of wine and I came I came back with uh, somebody and I thought, oh, what's somebody in? I did some research and I said, oh, that's, that sounds like something fun and interesting, so um, I want to become a somebody but that was a bit, you know, out of, of nowhere really.
0: So uh, presumably you finished your education in school, you did the, the back as it's called over there, the A-levels or the leave insert equivalent and did yeah. you go to university then?
1: No, what happened is I was in a year just before passing my living certs and when i looked at studying for wine it y- you can do it uh, whether through the general uh, baccalaureate and then you can do a year of catching up basically to go back to a different kind of technologic baccalaureate or you have the option of going for what is called the brevet uh, professionnel, which in fact in terms of studies is going backwards after baccalaureate, but that was the shortest option shortest option for me, so I decided to stop my baccalaureate, go for my first year of studying in a catering school, and by, at the same time do my last year of uh, leaving certs by distance learning. So I was studying two courses at the same time for a year, and then I went to catering school for two years plus the year of uh, studying for to become a sommelier.
0: So two years—it doesn't seem like very much to acquire a lot of knowledge, but I would mm. imagine that it is an ongoing. You're learning all the time.
1: Oh, absolutely! You don't, you don't, you don't really know much when you leave school after two years because you only study about French vineyards, first of all. And uh, the second thing is, you know, very little. You just start to kind of discover how do you taste wine and a little bit of basics about wine and spirit, but it's really about keeping on studying for the rest of your life if you want to keep up with what is happening and new vineyards growing you know and pretty much every day around the world and new spirits new beers because it's not only about wine it's about any beverages uh, existing including coffee and and water
0: where did you start to work then where did you start your professional career in terms of paid employment
1: uh, my first job was in France I started I worked for six months at a seasonal job in a two Michelin star restaurant in a place called Les Avis de Tayac, which is situated in uh, the Dordogne uh, in France. And after this, I finished in uh, around November 2003, and I decided to move to Dublin to to go to work and to improve my English. And that's how I I ended up in Dublin, and and I never really left after that.
0: And you started... In a very prestigious, like two Michelin star restaurant, like that's a fabulous place to start a career.
1: Yes, it was a great opportunity. I was just commis sommelier there for well, just over six months, but it was fantastic. I mean, uh, very very good wine list, working very with a very good um, head sommelier. Work well, she was English, and uh, so no, no, it was a great way to start. But a lot of lot of commis sommelier decided to do like this. You know, you go and work for a few years in two, three Michelin star restaurants. Um, well in France or in different countries around the world because that's that's the best way to learn really.
0: When you came to Ireland then you worked in restaurant Patrick Gibo which is a Michelin star restaurant in Dublin.
1: Yes so I worked there for 18 months. I was assistant sommelier at the time. I was working with Charles Delain who was the head sommelier. Uh, so I worked there until uh, around June 2005 and uh, then we decided to to move abroad again, so I just spent another year and a half between Belgium, Luxembourg and just a couple of months in Scotland, and then I decided to move back to Ireland, with no job at the time, thinking, oh, I'll I'll find something, Uh, but I really wanted to go back to Ireland, because I really enjoyed the first experience, Uh, I really enjoyed the atmosphere in Irish restaurants, very different from French restaurants, and uh, so I said, okay, just i take a flight back to Dublin, and I had some friends. I stayed with them at the time and I decided to um, start looking for a job.
0: And what are you doing now? You have your own business now, a consultancy type business.
1: Yes, so I have my own consultancy company called Dan to Wine. Um, I give some private tastings. I also do a little bit of staff training around the country. And I also work part time in the greenhouse restaurant on Dauphin Street.
0: Last month, you jetted off to Argentina. It was the World Sommelier Championships. Tell us a bit about the process to to get to that level and to get to the final of that.
1: Um, Yes, well, first there is a selection in different countries. So at the national level, you enter a selection. Then there was uh, 61 candidates to represent 58 countries in the, the World Championship. It takes place every three years. And it goes in three, different around three days. So there is a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final. In the quarterfinal, you have a written exam, you have some blind tastings, you have some practical tasks, which are service of wines, or like decantation of serving sparkling wine or food and wine recommendation. Then after the quarterfinal, only 15 candidates were kept to go through the semifinal. And then the same again, theory, paper, uh, blind tasting of wine and spirits. Also quite a lot of, uh, of uh, practical tasks again. And then finally on the final, three candidates were, uh, were kept to go through. And this time there is no theory paper. It's only about uh, practical tasks.
0: What sort of practical tasks are involved? Is pouring involved, for example?
1: Uh, yes well it's quite varied in fairness uh, this year in the final we had one of the tasks was to serve a bottle of champagne to three people knowing that they asked for champagne extra brut, but the brand which was monte Chandon that they asked for doesn't produce an extra brut or does but doesn't label it as so well. so you had to know that the vintage was extra brut even though it's written brut and at the same table there was a cocktail to be made as well as serving the the, the champagne so there was a little trick of knowing that it was an extra brut and then managing to handle first of all the making of the cocktail but also knowing which guest to serve first because there was the ladies and then the guests well, the person hosting the table was drinking champagne, but the thing was to make the cocktail before serving the person drinking champagne. So it was a little bit of a... Of a um, it,
0: it was a trick question kind uh, of thing.
1: Exactly. Then we had um, some food and wine argumentations in terms of you were given some wine labels to memorize in one minute, and you had to come up with a full dinner uh, for a table of four or five people. Then there was a, a theme about matching chocolate and coffee. So you were given a chocolate, you had to make a coffee recommendation and a spirit recommendation to go with it. There was also some blind tasting of wines and of spirits. And there was a decantation of a magnum of wine. And finally, you had to justify to a customer why you should buy um, a wine that you had in a glass so you were blind tasting a wine and then you were asked okay you have two minutes to convince this customer to buy a few cases of this wine knowing that you were not even sure what the wine was in the glass which was pretty interesting. That is a
0: mind-blowing list of tests so it is because I just assumed it was all about wine but you're talking about coffee there you're talking about cocktails you're talking about coming up with a menu plan as well like it, it's very extensive
1: It's very in extensive indeed yes no it is very extensive but that's that's what makes it difficult and interesting at the same time.
0: How did it feel then whenever you were announced as the third in, in third place and of course like first and second went to men so you are the best female sommelier in the world
1: Well I felt very excited I, I actually didn't really feel stressed and I was I was the last candidate to go through in the final, so I had to wait over two hours in the um, in a room on my own, because we were not allowed to talk to anybody else, including the other candidates, so I kind of thought, you know what, it's just amazing to be there, so I have to be excited and happy about it, and try not to be stressed about it, because now whatever happens is just extra, and I re- I arrived on stage, I think relatively relaxed and very, very happy to be there, it was just a dream.
0: And what does what does it mean now for you? What what is the future going forward for Julie?
1: Um, well, I'm I'm hoping to develop my uh, my consultancy company and try to, to share my passion with more people. Um, I really really like organising tastings and I suppose teaching as well. So that's something I would really like to look at in more depth. And I'm suppose I'm still working in a greenhouse. I'm um, also really enjoying it. Uh, the chef Michael there is fantastic to work with. We do a lot of food and wine pairings, and I get to taste. The whole I mean, all the menu with him and taste the wines and see what is best for each dish. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to uh, get the combination of really properly of somebody in a restaurant, but also have more flexibility in terms of times and traveling, tasting, meeting people. I have to say I really like the balance at the moment with what I do, so I'm, I'm hoping to manage to keep it.
0: Well, people are definitely in very safe hands whenever they go to the greenhouse and they ask what wine goes well with this. Julie, congratulations. If people want to find out about you and your consultancy, if they go to downtowine.ie, and the two being the number two, all your details are there. Thanks so much for talking to me this evening and all the best for the future.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for calling me. Cheers. Chin
0: chin.
2: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Great to talk to Julie and congratulations again on a fantastic achievement. Still to come tonight, it's all about Great Taste in Clonmel County Tipperary with Anne-Marie Walsh from the Tipperary Kitchen and Pat Whelan from John Whelan Butchers because I was lucky enough to join the Great Taste Awards judging panel in Clonmel County Tipperary a few weeks ago. You might have seen the feature on Nationwide on RTE last night. It wasn't my first time judging. In fact, when I did it three years ago in Dublin, that was when the idea for this show came about and it was very much down to a guy called Nigel Bardham. I got talking to him when I was in Dublin and he was telling me about doing a food slot on the radio with Simon Mayo over in England and I was inspired to give it a go here on the wireless in Ireland and best possible taste was born. I've bumped into Nigel a few times since and was delighted to nab him for a chat at Clonmel so let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Nigel, we'll have to stop meeting like this at, the, <laughs> at these food events. It's <laughs> <That's> great. We'll <laughs> have to meet at rugby instead because I know you're a big rugby fan. Yeah,
2: although I'm really keen. My my brother-in-law's moving back to Dublin, Brian Kavanagh and uh, uh, we, he's. I, I've always said I wanted to go to an All-Ireland final, and I've never been. So uh, you know, Craig Park, ninety odd thousand. That makes the hairs on the back of the neck stand up. Yeah, so, sounds good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Irish uh, sport as well. Um, And not because most people support Manchester United, of course, which I don't, but uh, no, it's just great. And and I, as a little lad, went to Lansdowne Road and uh, saw all all the elements there and and loved it. And been lucky enough to play a bit of rugby in Ireland. My brother was at Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin and studied to be a doctor there. So when I behaved myself, I was able to go on a rugby tour with him, which I did when I was younger. Small world. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the other thing you love about Ireland is the food, and you're here as one of the great taste judges. And we're in Clonmel in County Tipperary, which I think will astound a lot of people that we're not in Dublin.
2: Now, I love the fact uh, it's It's really down to Pat Whelan, uh, because he's a uh, fantastic uh, beef-dripping Supreme Champion last year. And he said to John Farrand, he said, right, the Guild have got to get off the backsides and bring the great taste uh, to Tip." to uh, Tipperary, it will make it happen, and, and man of his word, he certainly did. And as chairman of the uh, judges, it's a very tough gig I have, of course, uh, it's just an honour to be here. And the diversity of, of food has been remarkable. Great to have some three-star winners as well. Uh, but also what's been interesting, it's not just all about the classic Irish, Celtic ingredients, great meat that you have, great dairy products, great fish, uh, but also some really interesting uh, diversity, and I think that does reflect... Um, mm. the modern Ireland as well not only way people are make, using their ingredients but what they're using with them and obviously you think of some of the cities where you get more immigration so that's reflected in the more diverse cuisine that's available but using Irish ingredients but you see it all the time and one of them, a classic ingredient was seaweed and, and we've seen a fantastic uh, biscuit uh, with seaweed in it and you just think that's fantastic I loved it there's it. yeah, yeah. a lot of it off your coast so uh, hurrah, happy yeah. days
0: well, I have to say now, being here as a judge myself, this is a very impressive operation that the judging is, the whole system and the, and the way they go about it, it really stands out.
2: I think the clarity of process is great. It's been fine um, nearly 25 years I've been at it. So uh, what I love about it is that um, a Supreme Champion or anything up there with three stars could have been tasted between 50 and 100 different judges at least. Bear in mind, 10,000 products, 50 tasting days nearly 400 judges so a lot of blind tasting and it is blind tasting that goes on uh, and it's referred around the room all the time. So there are a lot of different people tasting these products, which is exactly how it should be. So, you know, you can't get one person to bully people into it. You know, there's a lot of different people who, who are wearing And when you know that when somebody's got one, two or three stars, it's been properly considered. Uh, and, and that's a great reflection. So that when that black and gold sticker goes on a product on the shelf, even if people don't fully understand what it means, uh, they think, I'm not sure. But I know that that re- you know, results in quality.
0: Yeah, because you nearly have a duty of care not only to the producer of the the food product, but also to the the consumers out there. That whenever they pick that up, that they do have great confidence that what they're picking up is worthy of a three star. That it really is a fantastic product that stands apart.
2: I think that's the key: is that um uh, people can relax knowing oh, it's got a, a great taste award sticker on it, and it, you know, I know it's been properly judged. But then it's really important but the producers give them support to make sure that they consistently produce the same product Uh, and and that's like the guild of fine food and it's something I see with Tipperary food as well the the, the body who get by is to make sure that these producers as they expand their businesses so they can make some cash they can actually make some euros out of it it's not just born on love good as that is uh, is that they can they've got longevity they can grow their businesses in the right way but they can still keep the quality that they have when they've been truly artisan and that's r- difficult to do as you expand your business employ people uh, all the headaches that brings with it but to make sure that you know the produce that you're putting out there on the, the shelves is as consistent and as tasty as possible
0: and the tipperary producers have been looking after you very well a gang of you were at Kilmore Stodge last night
2: we were Kilmore. that's Uh, Completely. I mean, Galileo and I, we're pen pals now. I mean, uh, I got to stroke the great stallion and... uh they told me about his uh, routine on the stud farm. I have to sound quite jealous, and I, I wish <laughs> I yeah, that. <laughs> no, I wish I was uh, as valuable as he was. But uh, great temperament, great horse. But what a setup as well. And they've got the, uh, the Vincent O'Brien, the, the gallops that he set up originally, uh, not that far away, and then stud farms in Australia and Kentucky as well. I mean, what a setup! You realise um, that there's uh, racing going on at the moment as I reach for the paper and tell you that <laughs> it's in Punchtown uh Town even uh, and, and all going on all week you know with 20,000 people and going to be 35 or 40,000 at the weekend you know but racing is a religion around here it's
0: huge yeah, it's,
2: yeah but the, the you can see why it's been so successful uh, irish trainers and jockeys dominating certainly the british racing scene both over the uh, sticks and on the flat it's because of the, the the preparation and the work that goes into it fantastic and to go round Cullamore last night and and to go into the hallowed the museum just breathtaking, remarkable, uh, and a real privilege. And then uh, we went off to uh, you know the bar Macready's afterwards, uh, and uh, there was a Kaylee going on. And this is fifth generation publican, restaurateur, publican, and undertaker. So you know, I mean, he's got he's got every element covered.
0: I think you tweeted a photograph of that. I did.
2: I love that. I just thought, Jason, uh, what a top man, you know. You can uh, help you onto your grave, and when you're in it, make sure you stay there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) But
2: no, really, the warmth of welcome has been very genuine and and really moving. And um, and Liz, you know, at, at the hotel, the Manila we're in here... Uh, is uh, she and the crew just couldn't have done more? And yet, it's been—it's nothing fawning about it. It's just genuine hospitality, and you have made to feel really welcome. And, and I would, all I keep i would like to bring my three young sons back here. And, and, and I'm, the lucky thing is, I can do. You know, I'm in Ireland often enough. I've got family here, so it's a great part of uh, Ireland. A lot of people know Dublin and what have you, but they should be getting to Tipperary and, and the other parts, and uh, because it's—it's uh, it's a stunning country. And with. Culinary tourism and agro-tourism is a great way of getting out there and seeing Ireland, and Ireland's definitely waking up to that.
0: Well, you're here judging, as we said, and you're the head judge or the chair of the judge. Um, what does that mean to you to be really the head honcho?
2: Well, it's a massive privilege, but it also means that I get to taste some of the great produce because by the time I'm involved more heavily at the end of it all, towards the end of the 50 odd days of tasting, is that a lot of other people have already d- done the refining. So I'm tasting one, two and three star products. And on the final tasting day, we have the shiny building, which is in Gillingham, Dorset, which is the, where the uh, Guild of Fine Food are based. Because obviously, not only to be put on the uh, uh, Great Taste Awards, but they do the World Cheese Awards going to be taking place in San Sebastian later in this year. Fantastic! But that final day is that we have 150, or what, anyway, however many three stars there are, it'll be somewhere between maybe 100, 150 out of 10,000 products. So they will all be tasted. Then there will be uh, fettled down to whittled down even to 50, and then 16. Uh, and that'll all be filmed and, uh, and then the winner will be announced in uh, an all singing all dancing um, awards ceremony in September so I'm involved with all that and it's a huge privilege uh, and uh, I get to taste some really diverse food and a lot of that's coming through from Ireland
0: how do you manage to stay so slim there's not a pick on you and you're tasting all of this
2: food all of the time get a tapeworm Sharon it's the way forward parasites are back leeches are on the National Health Service. I don't know why anyone else hasn't really gone down that route. I've I, I probably got some terrible illness, but uh, I don't would be a hell of a wake, wear a bright shirt, you know, wear something colourful. You've got a great wardrobe.
0: You want to be in that pub and fettered? Them, I do, then it I do. Wrong.
2: That's it. I've got my place already. I'll be laid out on the bar in every sense, but... Uh, No, it's just I'm a lucky boy. Uh, But the joy of radio is, that, of course, when I'm being a rugby commentator, I used to have played quite a lot of rugby, a couple of stone heavier then, and uh, people do meet me and go, oh, dear, is that it? You know, you aren't Robbie Train, are you? Not even Charles Campion. You're just some scrawny food and drink guy, all ribs and bits. But I don't mind, I'm lucky.
0: Well, listen, it's lovely to have you here in Ireland. We hope you'll come back soon.
2: Sharon, thank you for having me. Good luck. Uh, on air and all the things that you're doing and uh, you know, you're know you a great ambassador for the business but there is much to shout about and uh, long may it continue and uh, it's exciting to be here but I'm looking forward to spreading the gospel as well back on the British ether through the BBC
0: Brilliant, thanks Nigel thanks. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, I've enjoyed talking to the best female sommelier in the world. And just before the break, you heard me chatting to the chair of the Great Taste, Judges Nigel Barden. We're staying in Tipperary now, and I was delighted to meet Anne-Marie Walsh from the Tipperary Kitchen, who do a range of award-winning products, including a Holy Cross biscuit cake, which my five-year-old would sell her soul for. Cheers. Chin-chin.
2: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Anne-Marie, I received a fabulous hamper of products from the Tipperary Food Mm. Producers Group there last week, and there were some of the Tipperary Kitchen products in it, which is your company.
3: Tell me what I found in the hamper. Well, weren't you the lucky girl to get that hamper? Very good. Well, you found uh, from the Tipperary Kitchen, we had a lovely tub of Holy Cross butterscotch sauce, and it's a handmade sauce, and like all of our products, they all start with an Irish ingredient.
0: And what would you serve that with?
3: Oh, it goes absolutely, it's just made to go with meringues. Okay. And of course, we do a range of fantastic handmade and homemade um, meringues. And uh, you could also put it with uh, ice cream. Beautiful on pancakes. Why don't we have pancakes more often? So that's the excuse that you need. It's a great product because uh, it's quite robust. So in other words, you open it, you use some, put the lid on, put it into the fridge or in the press, bring it out again another couple of weeks.
0: It keeps for a long Absolutely. time. it's brilliant.
3: And okay, really that's good, good to know. And it's the most popular of our, we do two in the range, in our dessert sauce range, and the butterscotch is, out and out, um, the most popular.
0: Well, somehow I'd say once it's opened, it's not going to last very long, <laughs> to be honest. Now, you mentioned meringues there, mm-hmm. and people would associate meringues with eating Mess, with pavlova uh-huh. with with sweet
3: dishes but you right. actually do a savoury version. Mm-hmm. Well we wanted to, um, I've always loved marines from uh, my time working down in Cork and um, I thought it was a product that particularly in the retail area, had become a very much dead-end area and it needed a bit of, bit of life. So we thought we'd, we'd be the ones to put a bit of life in it. So first of all, we sourced the best ingredients. So we sourced um, a fresh Irish free-range egg, egg whites from O'Egg in and County Meath. Um, so they're made fresh and they come down to us every Tuesday into Tipperary, into our bakery in Holy Cross. And from that, then we make meringues um, with that product for the week. So it's really good to use another artisan and producer's product ingredient
0: and earthy beetroot and Mm. ginger what would
3: we eat that with or how would we serve it well it's actually um, beautiful with just cream and some berries I had it last night um, so it doesn't have a savoury taste to it even though there's beetroot in it yeah it has that it's it's more earthy and so it's not kind of on the salty savoury side so it's beautiful with um, just very simply actually on its own it's just lovely it's almost a complete product on its own but you can match it with. lots of things in fact I think matching maybe with a little bit of lemon curd we use cross oak lemon curd and uh, put that into some cream and I think that zestiness that citrus zestiness with the beetroot and ginger is beautiful
0: Earthy beetroot and ginger. Where did you get the inspiration for that?
3: Well, we're networking all the time with the Tipperary food producers, and um, I'm also with uh, network with a lot of other Food Academy producers from around um, Ireland. So, I was I was at an event one day and I was chatting to another producer who was a chef, and he was saying, Oh, beetroot is all in, you've got to try beetroot. So, back we went and uh, to our kitchen, we said, Okay, beetroot, but we'll, we'll have to put it, we'll have to marry it with somebody. Who will we marry it with? And so, we decided to marry it with ginger, and the two of them just get on great. And did you go through a lot of different
0: trials and tribulations? The the expression on your face kind of says it all before you came up with the the perfect finishing product.
3: Yes, so you've no idea. I would think for about the last two or three years, I've been working with putting strawberry and lemon and chocolate into meringues. And we do um, uh, pavlova nests in strawberry, lemon, chocolate, and original. And I suppose the newer range now, the extra special range is what we're calling them. Uh, These are kind of more... Um, well, everything is hand piped and handmade anyway, but these are kind of deliberately kind of rough formed, kind of single shots of meringue, very much give you that chefiness in your kitchen. Um, and we took us a long time to get the right balance of flavours, and also to have the meringue that it's kind of crispy on the outside, but gooey, mallowy on the inside. That took us a while to perfect, because when you're adding, you know, it's 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 easier to do that when you're using a plain meringue but when then you're adding other flavors in other liquids in etc that takes a lot of balancing so it took us quite some time but i think we've hit the nail on the head
0: and a meringue is not the easiest thing to make it's Mm. certainly not on my list of skills having had the experience of uh, is it meant to break your teeth like this (laughs) sharon said back to me one time now one other product that we must talk about is your chocolate biscuit cake the holy cross chocolate biscuit cake cake. that's a fabulous product i'm very familiar (laughs) with that (laughs) very good as are my
3: children (laughs) Well, again, look, we set out, like we do with everything, to, be, to make the best of what we're making. And um, so, like the meringues, our Holy Cross chocolate biscuit cake is designed to be the best of chocolate biscuit cake. So, again, it starts with an Irish ingredient this time. It's tipperary butter. Uh, which is made just down the road for us in, in uh, Tipperary Town. And um, again, the biscuit cake is all made by hand, Belgian chalk We have three types. Um, we have a milk, a dark, and then we have another one with a rocky road, which has got the marshmallows in it. But by far, probably the most popular are the milk and the dark. They would be kind of neck and neck. And what people love about them, and what they say about them, is it's just a nice size First of all, it's really good. It's got the highest percentage of chocolate in chocolate biscuit cakes that's around. Uh, And so the ratio of chocolate to biscuit was very important to us. So we went that extra mile with the chocolate and got that right. Nice crispy biscuits. And the thing about the log is that you can cut it into big chunks, and do something with them maybe decorate them with ganache and put sprinkles on it and nice and up, upgrade it or you can just take your slice with a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and put the rest away for tomorrow and people do that
0: three very versatile mm. products you know they, they're not necessarily just stand yeah. alone like there's a lot sorry there's yeah. a lot there that you can do with mm-hmm. them
3: where are they are they widely available throughout Ireland? yes so look I'm a busy working mother all my friends are the same we're going non-stop um, you know Monday to Friday sports runs on Saturday So when it comes to Sunday, we want to invite the family around, we want to sit down, we want to chill out. So my products are designed for that person who wants to say... I have got the go-to desserts, put them in the press, if somebody else arrives in, I have enough to cover everybody. if they don't arrive in, I'll just put a bear and it's going to hold. So it's about value for money, it's about no wastage, but most importantly it's about a really quality product that you could also pass off as being your own, um, so you could say yes, I did make these meringues myself. Um, so that's what our product is and now it's really fantastic, we're now available nationwide, I mean I've been a long time around <laughs> doing this to be able to say we're now nationwide. So so, um, and we're available through uh, the Super Value Network. So you can get us in Cardona, in beautiful Donegal, um, and right down to Killarney in Kerry um, or in Wexford. So we're available nationwide, and that's fantastic. So you'll find us in the Food Academy sections of, um, of the Super Value stores. So
0: Supervalue has been very good to you mm. and good for your business, yeah. in what ways have they engaged with you?
3: Well I mean I'd have to say for me but also for all the other food producers they have worked, first of all they started a training program um, with Sportbia and the local enterprise offices in the counties all over the country and um, they literally ran a start your own food business course and at the end of that if you had a finished product they would put that on the shelf, but. The most important part of that bit is that when they put it on the shelf, you're in a shelf, a food academy shelf, which is specifically for small food producers. So all the products of a similar high-quality small arts and producers are all stocked together. So when you go into your Value store and you go to the food academy stand you're basically going to a store within a store and that's what makes it so wonderful and that has brought on food producers all over the country from Mayo to Dublin to Donegal, Cork who've all gone through this process and it's encouraging people who have an interest and an idea of for a food product to say okay well I'll do this course and see how far I get and then you get to the end and the store manager says that's a really good product you bring it into my store and you think oh I'm on one or two stores isn't that great and before you know it you be like me you can be nationwide that's great. Do you
0: find going out and about and doing tastings is very important letting people actually taste the product themselves and engaging with them and talking to them to get their feedback?
3: Absolutely you know we deliver the product ourselves to the stores still we want to keep that close contact with the stores but then we go out every Friday and we do tastings throughout the country and it's just great fantastic getting feedback we love that and I love when people come up and say, Oh, I get your biscuit cake, but I, I was looking at your meringues, you know, and really what they're saying, I was looking at it, but I wasn't sure. So you say, Look, I'm here today, now's the time to try them. Try them all, I'm here now and try them. And that's what we want. We want people to come up and try the product. I don't expect people to buy it on the day, but what I know is that if they try it and enjoy it and understand how to use it, they will buy it in the future, and that's what it's all about. And In doing so, then, your, our business is based in the heart of rural Ireland. We're in the middle of Tipperary. We're in Holy Cross Village. If you've ever been there, it's beautiful. Abbey, river, picturesque, we've got it loads, but we're rural. And if we want people to be working locally and spending money locally, we're providing them with jobs. So every time you buy a product from a small food producer you're actually supporting that person who's working with them and keeping them in a the job. I know it doesn't seem that way, it sounds very teaching, but in a matter of fact, it's true, because as we've grown our stores, we've also taken on, we've grown our staff numbers, so it, it's worked in, in relation to each other. So thank you, customers, for your continued support.
0: Well, it's great to hear your success so far. What is your vision for the future? What do you have up your sleeve? Are you developing any new products at the moment? Oh, I'm going to be the queen of rags. <laughs> That's your, that's your goal, different <laughs> flavours.
3: Um, yes, we're the only uh, producer who's making meringues on a commercial basis, flavoured meringues on a commercial basis in Ireland and ours are all handmade and slow baked and we will continue to do them that way because we can guarantee the quality that way. Um, We've developed the newer range, of the Earty Meringue and also strawberry, strawberry Shortcake, looking to go into the food service and um, again, most have come up trumps, they're developing a similar food academy in the food service side, so Hopefully, you'll be seeing our products or eating our products as you're out on Sunday. When you're not cooking at home, you're going out, you've been taken out to lunch, that you'll be eating our uh, beetroot meringues or shortcake meringues in your local cafe or or hotel.
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, all the best for the future and thanks for talking to me today.
3: Fantastic. My pleasure, Sharon. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's show we've heard from the top female sommelier in the world and just like Nationwide on RT last night we've turned our attention to Tipperary and the Great Taste judging because it took place there a couple of weeks ago in Clonmel and we're staying in Tipperary now when I meet... Pat Whelan from John Whelan Butchers, whose beef dripping took the Supreme Great Taste champion title last year. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Pat, I'm sure last year when you were over in England and your beef dripping was announced as the best product at the Great Taste Awards, you didn't really envisage that the Great Taste Awards would be in Clonmel on your, uh, literally on your front door the following year, did you?
4: Oh, I absolutely did. Oh, did because you? Because when I saw the opportunity, when I was awarded the Great Taste Award, which is like the movie industry has Oscars and the food industry has Great Taste, and Great Taste is um, recognition among your peers, uh, both in Ireland and Great Britain, um, is probably in its twenty-first year. Last year was it's probably the most. Recognised star, uh, recognised star that you can get. You know, it's it's blind tasted, uh, without badges or, or packaging or anything like that. The product is around taste. So when I was walking up to the stage, I I said to myself, in in my own note to self, how can I bring this back home? Because I think I need to inspire more people. Uh, to I suppose to innovate and to create and i said to john farrand after he presented me with the prize you've got to bring this to my hometown and he said i will and i think he said i will because he was in this on the spot i said that's a promise and i don't break them and he said okay and that was the conversation
0: but i'd say you were very much instrumental in making it happen
4: i uh you know um i really I believe in local sustainable food economies, I believe in Tipperary, I'm a very proud Tipperary man, I'm very proud of the food landscape that exists in this county as a result of the Tipperary Food Producers Network, which has been established eight years now, um, so we're a very established county and we know uh, we know our food, so to bring somebody like Great Taste here to Tipperary and here to, to my hometown of Clonmel, it's a great privilege and an honour, and it makes me very proud and it, it's pr- you're proud to bring them and to show them what we have, because you know we think uh, we think of food just, but food is made up made by people and people live in places. So it's not about just the food, it's about the people, it's about the passion and it's about the product and the place we're all from and and they are the key elements that make it you know give it the personality that it has. And I think in terms of counties, you know, uh, we're a marketeer's dream because the place name we have, Tipperary, is instantly recognizable, uh, made famous by the song back in the war times of It's a Long Way. But every time you travel, uh, people connect with that word. And then in recent, um, a recent research, a body of research we did in the UK looking at possibly bringing Tipperary products to the UK, London consumers saw it as local, which was really, really interesting. We here in Ireland see local as our town or our parish or our whatever. But London consumers see Ireland as local and they see indeed see Tipperary as local. And the words that came out when they thought of Tipperary were natural, green, and all those words that we actually stand for and that they're, they're brand pillars, if you like, of, of what we are. So we have a great place name that we hope to leverage that and bring our food to um, markets, both nationally and internationally uh, in the future. So we have great, uh, a great vision for the county in food and, and, and great hopes.
0: There is a very strong brand there amongst the food producers in Tipperary and there's great collaboration there. Was it always like that or was it something that you had to work at?
4: I think that exists naturally. I think, you know, if you go back in history in Ireland and you think of um, the Mehel, or I'm not sure whether it was that mehel, but think of mehel, the word mehel and what it means, where neighbour helped neighbour at harvest time. And, and that collaboration went on even then. So in our DNA, that's there. All you need to do is bring it to the surface. And um, I remember the first challenge of, for the Tipperary food producers was to have a dinner and to bring everyone together in long table style. And the symbolism of the table was that we were all united through the one ingredient, which was food. And the challenge was to stay within the county boundary and to source every single ingredient. And we saw that as a mighty challenge in the very beginning. But the actual challenge in the end was including everything that was available. And that absolutely showed me one thing, that individually these products were great. But when you put them together as a collection, it was quite outstanding. And to put a whole meal together and be challenged to include it all on the one menu was a really, really eye-opening exercise for everybody involved. And I remember that first night when we brought stakeholders in in the industry together, both um, local government, uh, national politicians, uh, and every other stakeholder in the industry. And we put them all around the table, and there was 80 people together at at that one meal. And everybody walked away with a different point of view, both about Tipperary, because we had it in Care Castle, which is um, one of the the, um, beautiful monuments that's here in Tipperary, And we also had it in outdoors on this long table across the the main yard of that. And, you know, people kind of stood and thought, every single piece of this was produced within this county. How much are we to be proud of? And we weren't saying anything. This was eight years ago. So we started to work from there.
0: Now, you're a butcher yourself. Like, that's that's your day job. Mm -hmm. But I don't Mm -hmm. know, do you get much time to be in the butcher shop or be in the abattoir and do what you need to do there?
4: Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm fifth generation butcher, so... I suppose it's part of my DNA as well. You know, I've grown up in it and I've um, I've lived it all my life, and um, I was very lucky to um, take over the business from my parents. and It's an extremely well founded business uh, with a very very strong team, um, so I'm really really lucky to work with really dedicated professionals that work alongside me, and uh, and deliver uh, a great product to our customers. and That's grown over fifty five or six years at this stage, and uh, you know. There is established practice there. So it's not about me being there every single day of the week. It's about uh, working with all the teams that are there at, at all different, whether it's at the farm or whether it's in the abattoir, whether it's in the boning room or whether it's in the shops. Um, my, my job is to set the tone and to steer the ship.
0: Very much leadership. I can, I can sense that from you. You're very much a leader not only in your business but with the group of people that are the temporary food producers.
4: Yeah, but I think leadership comes from a clear, defined vision and communicating that vision to all stakeholders, and that's true leadership. So I think if the vision of the business is well-defined, I I think your job as leadership is really easy. You know, One of the key criteria I I would have in selecting somebody at interview stage is I want to hear the word, I love butchering, or I love what I do, because I don't think it's a career that you can just fall in or out of. I don't think it's a career you can actually develop a liking for having joined. I think you need to want to do it, and you need to have connected with it ever before you joined. And I think if you have a workforce where the common denominator is the love of the business, I think you have a a great chance of success. You know, and it's it's all about the people that are involved because their personality is imparted on the product. I can select the product, I can mature the product, but their craft is what brings it to life for the consumer and brings it into retail cuts that we understand every day of the week.
0: Well, you can very much sense the passion that you have talking to you. And the last time I spoke to you, you had written a book with Katie mm-hmm. McGuinness. Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember in that interview you talking about the cow and about every aspect of the cow, mm-hmm. every element of the cow should be used because it has sacrificed mm-hmm. its life mm-hmm. for people to mm-hmm. eat part of it mm-hmm. because I suppose back there, in a lot of instances not every part of an animal is used. Is that how the bri- the dripping came about?
4: Yeah you know I'm a very big supporter of um, Board B's initiative of Origin Green which is making us uh, more sustainable in our practice and in our business. And a number of years ago, I became a verified member of that. And uh, that, that, you know, it, gave, it gives my thinking a completeness. Um, I think we're very fortunate to be where we are on the planet. We're very fortunate to have the natural resources, which we have, and everyone gives out about it as the climate, because we can grow great grass. And nature gives us those beautiful animals that we can grow them. And I think we owe it to them to use every single part of it. And I was looking at, you know, what we were doing with fat, and and it was a waste product for us. And I was looking at how we can actually bring it back and, and, and make it real for people and make it relevant to the generation that it was. And some of that inspiration comes from the past, and some of that inspiration comes from looking back. And some of the best inspiration I've ever had in my life has come from practice that has gone on. I have looked at that practice and contemporized it and brought it forward. But dripping was one of those things that I looked at. My mother taught me what to do with it because I had a simple conversation with her about it. She taught me the process, and I literally packaged it exactly as it was packaged 50 years ago and brought it to the market. And when I brought it to the market, people were looking at me, and they were kind of thinking, you know, it's dripping, you know, I mean, it's fat. I mean, where are you off to? But I shared it with my customers, and I gave it to them, and I thought, you know, go and try it. And it built its own following. And through the Tipperary Food Producers, um, I got involved in Great Taste Awards because everyone was entering a product together. And the challenge for me was to send meat to the UK to be judged. And I thought, I'll send the dripping because it'll travel easy. You know, there was no master plan to change this conversation or whatever. So I sent the dripping and the dripping uh, was, it it beat 10,000 products to become supreme champion. They were
0: just blown away by it. They were
4: completely blown away by it. But, you know, it's it's a crazy product because everybody that tastes it remembers their father, their grandmother, their grandfather, and everybody tells a story. It's, it's the most nostalgic product I've ever, ever, ever had anything to do with. And quite, quite honestly, um, it's, 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 it's um, unashamedly from a time that we all grew up with. And when you actually taste it, you reconnect with great memories of great food. And it's very hard to put your finger on what it actually is, but the minute you taste it, you get it, and you think, that's it, that's the element that has been missing. And, you know, there are a number of cases, there's a number of applications or how you can use it. And I suppose it's MSG. It's a natural flavour enhancer from 50 years ago. But there's none of the nasty stuff in it. It's very good fat.
0: And something else from maybe 50 years ago is bone broth, which Mm -hmm. is very much Mm -hmm. uh, in vogue now. And Mm -hmm. on Twitter there a couple of weeks ago, I could see a bit of dialogue going back and forth between different people about bone broth. Like it was just a fad. It's just another name for stock. But you wouldn't agree with that?
4: No, I think bone broth has unique things. I I, I honestly believe that clean, well-produced food is probably the most powerful medicine in the world. And I really believe that. And I think we can heal through food if we're very careful and considered when what we eat. I think properly made bone broth using, um, stock, uh, using bone marrow, bones with bone marrow, um, is what gives it the properties it needs. And again, it's about the integrity of the product and the ingredients that go to make that product and the process in the product that make, make great bone broth. So I think to trivialize it and say it's just another word for stock is not fair. And I think that if the product is is used with the correct ingredients, it can have really, really, really powerful health benefits. And I think you're going to see more and more people looking for um, great and naturally produced food um, to actually heal with and, and to improve their health and well-being. And I think if you look at all the consumer trends, people are looking for that increased amount of health and well-being and and harmonizing the whole body or the the acidity and the alkalinity in the body. And they're doing that through great food. And that doesn't mean it has to be organic or it has to be free range or it has to be whatever it is. Those things are elements of it. I think the ethics of how food is produced is probably the most important thing. So ethically produced food that is good for you and proven to be good for you uh, is a good position to be in.
0: Now, fortunately, your products are widely available. You don't have to come to Tipperary for mm-hmm. them. You're in the Avoca stores?
4: Yeah, we have three butcher shops in Dublin. We are in the Avoca store in Kilmechanic, in Monkstown and in Rathcool. Uh, we have an online business through com, which is a great resource, not only for purchasing meat, but a great cooking resource. There's great recipes there. And I put a blog up there whenever I get time to write it and uh, we have our home store in Clonmel, which is a great visual experience and a celebration of meat really uh, the front window is a, is a glass cold room that, where we hang quarters of meat and just celebrate what it is, a great natural product. And I think we're so, so lucky in this country to have access to great meat. And I, we have so much to be proud of in Irish beef. Uh, so wherever it is you see Irish beef, support it because it's a wonderful, wonderful product.
0: I absolutely agree with you, Pat. Great to talk to you. And congratulations on bringing the Great Taste Awards to Clonmel. Mail. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Chin chin.
4: Salut.
2: Schleunter.
0: That was Pat Whelan from John Whelan's Butchers, a very inspirational person indeed, and it was great to enjoy the hospitality of the Tipperary Food Producers and the Guild of Fine Food when I was in Clonmel. So many, many thanks to all involved. And it's that time of the evening when I tell you we're at the end of tonight's show, sadly. If you missed any part of it and you want to listen to it or you want to listen to it all over again, check out the podcast soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the little podcast app. As always, thanks a million for tuning in and of course to all of tonight's guests, Julie Dupuyer, Nigel Barden, Anne-Marie Walsh and Pat Whelan. And until next week, bon appétit.